Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. It is show number 44 of the MMA podcast that brings you fighting talk with a distinctly British flavour. And I'm delighted to say that after flying solo last week, recording like a sad, lonely man in a pub, I'm now joined once again by my sparring partner, podcasting compadre and all-round good egg, Mr. Chamatkar Sandu. How are you, buddy? Good to have you back. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, I kind of wanted to skip out on the whole Mayweather-McGregor talk from last week, because let's face it, everyone's talking about it, and we're going to have plenty to dissect over the coming 10 weeks or so, so I thought I'd let you uh, uh, take that one solo. But <laughs> uh, but, uh, but no, no, it's good to be back. I'm actually in, uh, in quite a bit of discomfort and pain. I jacked my back up at the gym yesterday. So, um, yeah, I've got, like, an ice pack, I've got a hot water bowl, doing a lot of, you know, hot cold therapy, got some deep heat going on, and um, a lot of painkillers. So, um, yeah, happy days, mate. Happy, happy days. <laughs> Have you noticed it's only people who are trying to get fit and get injured? Have you noticed that? It's, it's, it's horrible. I I am, I'm a fat, lazy man, and I haven't been injured in ages. I need to so, revert. I need to revert back to the uh, the Simon Hare, John Morgan, you know, lifestyle plan, and, uh, and I'll be <laughs> and, and I'll be just fine, mate. In all seriousness, I do need to get my fat ass down the gym, but not now because we've got a podcast to record, and boy, have we got some stuff to talk about on this week's show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to try and keep it brief, but we had two shows this weekend. A bit of a double header this weekend. Bellator NYC slash Bellator 180 went down at the Mecca, Madison Square Garden this weekend. Now, if you're a Brit and you uh, you managed to watch this, congratulations. There was a little bit of effort involved, um, but I think we, we were rewarded with uh, plenty of talking points. So we will talk about that. We'll, uh, we'll answer a couple of uh, listener questions for you. And then we will talk about what happened last night in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, UFC Fight Night 112. What on paper looked like a pretty lightweight fight card. Delivered some uh, some remarkable moments. We will talk about that as well. Then we will get ourselves out of here and uh, try and enjoy a bit more of this incredible sun that we've been having here in the UK. Because uh, we've got a gap weekend next weekend. So uh, we'll get this out of the way. Then we've got the long run-up to International Fight Week. But Sandu, let's kick things right off. Madison Square Garden. This was really Bellator's biggest coming out party to date. They've done what they've called tentpole shows in the past. They did that Dynamite show, didn't they, where they had kickboxing and MMA in the same arena. They've done big shows over here. They've done big shows in the States. This was the biggest one they'd ever done. They uh, had three world title fights on the card. None of them were the main event, which is, you know, that's Bellator. Um, We had Chow Sonnen against Vandalay Silva. Let's just run down the results and just quickly touch upon the main talking points from these fights. Sonnen versus Silva first and work our way down. The bad guy is back in business, and he really needed to be, because if he'd lost to Vanderlei, I think his monetary worth to Bellator would have basically gone through the floor. He needed to win that one, and he went back to his bread and butter, uh, his wrestling, and uh, did what he needed to do to pick up a, uh, a lopsided decision win. How did he look? Because he's, he's knocking on in years now, Mr. Sonnen. Uh, Vanderlei Silva's no spring chicken himself. Vanderlei's not fought in a long time. Um, and to me, it looked like it showed a little bit. He looked better than he did in the Tito Ortiz fight. And, and I think for Chell, he just needs reps. Um, you know, I mean, I think the good thing for him was he was fighting a Vandalay Silva that's been off for so long. Uh, and who is susceptible to Chell Sonnen's, you know, 
strategy and game plan, which is eat, sleep, take down, repeat, you know, and uh, that seems to be, uh, seems to have been, you know, you know, something that's kind of helped him plenty of times in the past, definitely helped him out in this fight. There was a moment where Wanderlei clipped him. Um, I think if I remember correctly, it was in the second round and uh, Chael went down and the Wanderlei smothered him, uh, but then kind of Sonnen, you know, got control of that situation after a while as well. Look, you know, he's you know obviously still way past his peak in his prime. You know, he's openly said he's on a legend's ass-kicking tour, uh, and that means fighting other peers, whether that be in the middleweight division, like heavyweight division, um, you know, who also are perhaps past their prime, but are in, in a similar age bracket uh, to Chael, have a lot of name value. Um, you know, he's still got marquee value himself. You know, that's why he's able to headline a show like this. And um, it'll be interesting to see what happens here. He called out Fedor um, after the fight. Um, obviously, at the time, Fedor had just been knocked out by Matt Mitrione. Um, so I don't know if that was uh, the best thing to do. Uh, and then in some post-fight interviews, I've seen him kind of drop Rory McDonald's name. Hasn't exactly revealed what the, the story behind that one is. But apparently, um, there's something there. Uh, what weight division and weight class that fight out, I'm not too sure. I'm assuming... Rory would perhaps meet Chael uh, at 185 pounds. But look, you know, it was a lot of pressure on Sonnen's shoulders coming into this uh, into this event. And not just uh, the history of Vandalay, uh, but the headline, uh, Bellator's pay-per-view, the first under the Scott Coker era. And uh, I think for the most part, it, it was a it was a good night, not just for him to get the the win and get his hand raised in victory, but then to set up you know, two or three fights down the road, which is typical Charles Sonnen. Yeah, you know, he's a good businessman, Charles Sonnen. Calling out Fedor, it sounds a bit daft, Fedor getting knocked out um, and then being called out by Charles. That actually makes sense as a matchup, though, from a sort of an age perspective and two ageing stars. It's a fight that you could imagine Charles doing a good job of selling. Fedor, he can't have many fights left now. Um, he can't keep getting knocked out. So um, I think... Chael would be a fight that is a relatively low-risk fight for him. I don't think Chael's going to knock him out. So that may well appeal. Uh, Chael doesn't go in there and starch, guys. So um, against Fedor, that might be an interesting one. I wouldn't mind seeing that. Um, talking about that co-main, which it was kind of a double main event, wasn't it? Uh, Matt Mitrione knocking out Fedor Emelianenko. We nearly saw a double knockout. We don't see them too often in MMA. But it was kind of comical. They both landed stiff right hands on each other at exactly the same time, sat each other down in the octagon, and uh, for a split second there, everyone was like, oh my God, they've just knocked each other out. Mitrione recovered best and ended up going on to uh, to finish the fight decisively. Um, for Mitrione, I guess it's just about going in there and just cleaning out that, that heavyweight division. But for Fedor, other than Chael, can you see him really sticking around for anything else? Is there much else out there for him? Uh, in Bellator, maybe Vandalay even. Yeah, maybe. I mean, he's got one fight left on his contract, and and I've got the feeling that Scott Coker and Bellator are going to utilize him um, one more time. You know, if he wants to, I, I can see them doing it. Um, I, I don't know who against. You know, Vandalay Silva's an option. Who knows? Maybe they can. You know, bring old Mirko Krokop out for a retirement as well. That seems to be. Yes. Um, Make it happen. Know, Make it happen. Bellator's kind of mo. But um, I can see them definitely using him one more time. Listen, um, you know, Chael and Fedor on paper, you know, it, it, it'll definitely get a lot of headlines. It's a, it's a kind of fight that perhaps can headline a big show and spike like a tempo event you mentioned earlier on. 
Um, you know, or if they want to go back to pay per view, that's definitely one that would be on a on, on a pay per view worthy card for Bellator, I suppose. And um, yeah, we'll see what happens, I suppose, with Fedor. Yeah, they were the two the two main event fights. So, as I say, I think they were billed as a double main event, um, which was a, a little bit a little bit strange because we actually had three world championship fights on the card. Brent Primus taking on Michael Chandler, the uh, defending Bellator lightweight champ, and taking the belt off him in, in rather bizarre circumstances. It was a, a T, officially a TKO victory on the uh, on the cards, if you like, but it was via Dr. Stoppage. There was uh, a lot, something weird happened halfway through that fight. Chandler seemed to turn his ankle over, uh, and I've done that playing, playing football, um, where you sort of go on, the, you sort of roll the outside of your ankle. And I had a tendency to do that with my left with my left ankle when I was playing football, but it looked pretty serious. I don't know if there's any breaks or anything. I, I don't know if anything that serious has happened, but um, it clearly left Chandler basically fighting on one leg, and uh, the doctor in the end uh, decided he was gonna he was gonna call an end to the fight. And there was a bit of a comical moment just beforehand where. Uh, Chandler got off his stall to sort of try and rouse the crowd and say, look, I'm good to go, I'm good to go. Unfortunately, his corner man removed the stall and then Chandler went to sit down again and ended up falling straight on his ass. And uh, it was a bit of a comical moment, not for Michael Chandler, it wasn't, uh, who ended up being embarrassed and losing his belt in one night. Is Brent Primus a legit champion now, Sander, or was he just a victim of uh, fortunate circumstances, do you think? Well, here's the thing, right? When Michael Chandler first rolled on his ankle, it was to you know evade and get out of the way of a Brent Primus strike. If I remember correctly, it was a leg kick that Primus was throwing, which kind of um, you know jolted Chandler to just to kind of move back. And when he did that, he rolled on his ankle. So it was a cause of Primus that kind of led to the actual injury itself. Um, it obviously, it would have been interesting to see how things would have played out had Chandler not unfortunately kind of hurt his ankle there. Um, and I'm sure, you know, I think even post-fight, immediately both men were like, yep, we're going to do it again. We're going to have a rematch. And I think that's going to probably be the right call here. And um, and we'll you know, hopefully then we can see what would happen if uh, an unfortunate incident like that doesn't take place. And it, it was just a bit of a freak situation because, you know, this is one of the title fights that did make it into the pay-per-view portion of the overall event in Madison Square Garden. And it just kind of played into i know we're going to get into it in a bit it just played into one of the fights on the card that just had a very strange outcome and initially the referee like you said called for a, i mean he called for a timeout which was a mistake i mean if he was going to stop the fight then it would have been an instant you know tko but he called a timeout to see to have a look at the ankle and see what was going on there and which was a mistake and then yeah you're right when chandler got up just to kind of prove that he could stand and continue to fight. When he attempted to sit back down and the stool had been removed, I'm assuming the referee thought that he had buckled under that ankle and has fallen over again. And that's the moment that he started to wave it off. So a comedy of errors, really unfortunate for Chandler. Again, uh, a homegrown talent of Bellator, a champion. It was a big night and a big moment for him. And it didn't go his way whatsoever. Um, but for Brent Primus, you know, uh, you know, not not many people were picking him to win the fight, and he is now the Bellator lightweight champion of the world. And it'll be interesting to see how he kind of takes on the mantle as champion, um, uses it 
uh, for for media opportunities and how Bellator try and promote him, plus this rematch. Yeah, and he gets himself another big fight, so he's likely to fight Chandler again. I think that makes sense. It was it was just too bizarre a finish to just say, yeah, that's all good. We'll move on. I think we need the definitive answer to this. Um, reminded me a little bit of uh, Tyron Woodley versus Carlos Condit, um, where there was an injury. It was a bit of a innocuous sort of injury. It was caused by Tyron Woodley to Carlos Condit, but you couldn't help but feel that it wasn't quite. It you know it wasn't quite fair. Fair isn't the right word, but you didn't feel. We felt like we'd missed out on 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 a on a proper contest. It got cut short really. So fingers crossed, we'll see that one again. Um, but Brent Primus came in in good shape. He looked big, much bigger than Michael Chandler. And uh, as you say, he was having some successes in that fight before it before it ended up going the way it did. Uh, two other title fights on this on this uh, event, which was a, a weird double header event because the prelims were renamed, or oh, sorry, were named Bellator 180 and shown on Spike, and then the pay per view portion of the card was called Bellator NYC, and that was obviously on pay per view. Douglas Lima versus Lorenz Larkin was on pay per view. For me, this was the title fight I was most interested in. I, I just want to see Douglas Lima against the best guys because he looks legit to me. He, he's an exciting fighter. He can knock you out with either hand. He's got good cardio um, and he's been in there and he's done the business in that Bellator welterweight division. Getting a decision win against Lorenz Larkin, uh, I think I think that was a real statement for him. It's like people can come over from the UFC, but they've got to be the absolute creme de la creme if they even want to think about taking the belt from me. Larkin was a mid-level uh, sort of between sort of 6th and 12th in the UFC welterweight rankings. Um, never quite broke into that upper echelon. He was just outside, but was always respected as a good striker. And some people thought he could go in there and, and outstrike Douglas Lima. Nope. Douglas Lima got the better of him. Picked up that decision win. I'm impressed with you with Douglas Lima, Sandy. Uh, very impressed. I've always been impressed with Lima. Uh, I think uh, the last couple of years especially, he's really kind of gone up a few levels as well. Um, and, and I think now that he's the champion, he's starting to get into these big fights under the Scott Coker era. I think a lot of people are starting to see that as well. Um, he's someone I'm sure the UFC would love to have uh, as an addition to their 170-pound weight class, but Bellator have got him. I scored the fight in his favor. I gave him rounds one, two, and three. Lorenz uh, came back strong in the fourth and fifth round, but I really felt like he needed a finish to get the job done. I saw a few of the scorecards out there, um, with our friends in the MMA media bubble that some scored it a draw. Uh, one or two scored it for, for Lorenz Larkin. I definitely scored it for Lima. I was kind of confident with that. And, uh, yeah, and even for Lorenz, you know, again, this was a, a fight after quite some time of being on the shelf just due to some of the contract situations he was going um, through with the UFC and then testing free agency. Um, and to come in straight away right off the bat against Douglas Lima, who has been fighting fairly consistently over the last couple of years, was always going to be a tall order. I, I was expecting a little bit more from the fight overall. Um, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say that I was underwhelmed by the five-round affair, but I was just expecting a little bit more, and I think that was probably more from Lorenz's side. I was expecting a little bit more explosiveness, um, but he just didn't have uh, the answer to the questions that Lima was asking. And, and now we're going to get Douglas Lima versus Rory McDonald which is going to be amazing. That's a stellar, stellar uh, fight. It'll be a five-rounder for the title. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm assuming Bellator will probably want to take that fight to Canada at some point at the back end of this year, which would make a hell of a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, in terms of the night for itself, Douglas Lima, one of the Brazilian champions of Bellator, getting a, another great victory under his belt. Yeah, it's a good point about the Canadian show. Um, they've got Julia Budd, who's, I think, their featherweight champion. She's Canadian. They've just signed Valerie Letourneau, who is Canadian, although, unfortunately, when she was interviewed on the Bellator broadcast, uh, told the watching public how how much she was looking forward to making her UFC debut, which was unfortunate because she has already had her UFC debut. But there you go. She's uh, she's now in the Bellator family, and uh, she could well an- end up featuring on a Canadian card if indeed they do that. Um, but yeah, Douglas Lima versus Rory Mack is probably the best fight you can make at 170 right now in that Bellator uh, welterweight division. And uh, who knows, maybe Michael Venom Page might find himself up there uh, in the next eight to 12 months. Let's hope so from a British perspective. So that was the second championship fight. Now the third championship fight, which was the first one we got to see. And uh, okay, I'm going to say it. It was terrible. Mm. Ryan Bader versus Phil Davis was a rematch of a quite terrible fight. Uh, First time round. And it was, uh, it was exactly the same again. Only it was over five rounds rather than three. Um, and uh, Ryan Bader got the split decision win. I thought deservedly. I thought he did. I thought he did enough um, against Phil Davis, who to me, and I, I even went back and looked. He looks different now, physically. He looks smaller. He doesn't look as muscular as he used to. He looked like an action figure eighteen months, two years ago, um, and uh, he's still an absolute specimen of an athlete. Doesn't look the same. Doesn't look as big. Um, So I found that interesting. Um, But I thought that Ryan Bader really had shown some uh, evolution in his game. Uh, Was able to stuff Davis's takedowns. Looked the better of the two in the stand-up. And I thought did enough to win it by split decision. Bader's the new champion, which I think opens things up for some fresh matchups for for them in Bellator. But let's be honest with ourselves. That's not a fight you're going to race race back to watch a replay of it wasn't good was it it wasn't and that was a fair going into this fight everyone remembers the stockholm uh, fight uh, were you there for stockholm simon i wasn't there no i was covering it from home right well i was there for that one and it was a stinker you know i mean if uh, the fans that night weren't kind of going home and droves after gustafsson <laughs> lost that main event to anthony johnson uh they were certainly kind of throwing their beer and booing and jeering after that particular fight and it happened again i can't believe it I mean, I thought that um, there may have been uh, a little bit more onus on Ryan Bader to be a little bit more uh, attacking, uh, take the fight to Phil Davis. A lot of the, well, one of the big storylines coming into this fight was the fact that Ryan Bader was getting a lump sum fee. You know, it wasn't a show and a win purse um, financial package for this particular fight. And for him, he said that's it, kind of, it, it was going to give him the chance to free up um, his strategy coming into the fight. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, he got it done, and he did kind of say that Phil Davis is one of the most awkward fighters to try and compete against in the cage. And, um, you know, that's been now evident in two fights. What they do next, I, I don't think they're going to go to a, a rematch here whatsoever. Um, I can see, I can see like, maybe Phil Davis um, fighting another top contender in the heavyweight division. Maybe someone like a, a Linton Vassell, who's coming off an amazing streak. Um, I know that earlier on this evening... Uh, Scott Coker mentioned on the MMA Hour that they're going to book uh, Ryan Bader versus King Mohamed Lawal 
Um, and so that will make a lot of sense. Uh, two guys with a wrestling background, uh, so that should hopefully negate itself, but two guys with a lot of punching power. So we'll see how that plays out um, at some point later on this year. But listen, Ryan Bader came to Bellator for a couple of different reasons. One was obviously the money, and number two it was to become a champion, and he's ticked both those boxes now. Yeah, one fight, and he's already done it. So kudos to him. Um, I have to say, I'd be a little disappointed if they make the King Mo fight, just because Linton Vassell, I think, has earned his spot now. I, think, I agree. Uh, I, agree. I, think, yeah. I think his performance against Liam McGeary in London, we were both there for that. That was super impressive, super impressive. And I think he deserves his shot. So uh, if it is to be King Mo, let's hope that Linton is absolutely uh, locked in to face the winner later this year or maybe early next year. But uh, yeah, from a British flag waving standpoint, I think I think the Swarm deserves, a, deserves his shot. A uh, couple of other fights just to very quickly touch upon before we, uh, before we answer a couple of questions. Um, Aaron Pico. Now, Aaron Pico is someone who wouldn't be that familiar to the UK audience just because we aren't, as a nation, that really interested in collegiate wrestling. We don't really do much of it over here. It's, it's, it's a serious sport over in the States. And he was considered a serious super prospect when he signed for Bellator. It's probably about a year ago now, maybe longer, when he actually signed the contract to, to, uh, to compete for Bellator. Um, and uh, much was much was written and much was said about Aaron Pico leading into this weekend's fight when he took on Zach Freeman, who had a little bit of experience, actually. It wasn't like they slung him in there with an O&O guy. They put him in there with a guy who's had, I think, 10 pro fights and had a solid record. And uh, Pico loses. 24 seconds, guillotine choke. Um, now, that doesn't by any stretch of the imagination mean that Aaron Pico is a busted flush. After one fight, it doesn't mean that he isn't going to go on and be a huge success. What it means is simply that he's got a lot of a lot of learning to do because he went in there with a ten fight veteran or an eleven fight veteran uh, and got tapped quickly. Um, from what little we saw of that fight, Sandu, is there anything that you can you can really glean from that other than the fact that Pico just hasn't got that competitive seasoning yet as an MMA fighter? The one positive I can take away from this fight is Pico looked cool, calm, and collected as he was making the walk down the aisle or the, the ramp. Um, he seemed at home in the cage. You know, it didn't seem as though that the uh, the occasion uh, was too much for him. You know, if that's anything to take away from this performance, you know, you can't really take too much away. I mean, it was only twenty four seconds, and at the end of the day, you had a a fighter making his pro debut against a. Uh, Another guy that's got you know ten pro fights under his belt, but on the flip side, you've got Zach Freeman, who is a nine of, nine to five ham and egger, who's got a full time job. You know, Aaron Pico, the full time professional athlete. You know, and you know he's got the likes of Eddie Bravo in his corner, and you know there was so much hype with Pico coming into this fight. Uh, MMA Fighting did a, a wonderful video package piece uh, looking at some of uh, you know the, the training that he was doing. I think. Uh, in um, in the wildcard uh, boxing gym, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I hope I haven't butchered that, but I'm pretty sure it was the wildcard boxing gym uh, out there in LA. Uh, ESPN, it was their lead story. It was their lead story uh, coming into this event. Aaron Pico was the guy, 
right, that Brett Okamoto did a massive uh, you know, piece on. And so you've got all this hype. And of course, you know, Bellator had provided uh, a lot of promotional material uh, for Pika coming into this fight. Even before the fight started, there was like a sizzle reel building up Pico and nothing whatsoever on Freeman. And then lo and behold, you know, Freeman gets it done in, in, in just a matter of seconds in that first round. Um, you know, we'll see, you know, I'm sure Pico's going to bounce back, but you know, this is some, this is part of the strategy Scott Coker has implemented in the last couple of years. He signed Pico a while back, a while back while he was still, you know, competing as a, as a collegiate wrestler. They also signed Jordan Burroughs, um, who's also a top, uh, wrestler in the states so these are the kind of guys that they're kind of investing time and money into and uh, you know with the hopes of hopefully building up as homegrown talent and you know pico will b- bounce back he'll take he'll take you know a lot of positivity away from this situation because at least now you don't have to worry about suffering your first loss there's no o to protect anymore now it's about knuckling down getting to business i think from a matchmaker's point of view i think it's a mistake for better to try and um you know prop him up against someone that's got, you know, almost a dozen fights under his belt. Match him up with somebody that's, you know, 1-0, and 2-0, and 2-1, something in that ballpark, and just build him up slowly. That's what you do with Pico now. Well, I think the fact that he's gone and been defeated and been defeated very quickly uh, in his debut, that now basically gives Bellator license to do exactly that. Whereas if they'd have done that from day one, while that would have been the sensible thing to do, there would have been people saying you're softballing him um, early on. You know what I mean? Because here he is. He's he's a great collegiate athlete, and you're going to feed him this O and O MMA fighter who doesn't have to have the same athletic credentials that Pico has. You're basically making it easy for him. So they didn't do that. They actually gave him a a, a, re, a relatively experienced opponent, and he lost. So now they can go back to this and say, right, we're going to give him a one and O guy, or we're going to give him a a one-on-one guy or something like that. So uh, interested to see how that story goes. I don't for a minute think that that's going to be a massive blotch on his on his record going forward. I think if anything, it should take it should take the shackles off a little bit, and uh, you know the expectation levels might get get reduced a little bit, which hopefully will help him. Um, we had two other fights that I very quickly wanted to touch on. We'll quickly uh, Heather Hardy against Alice Yalga. Uh, Heather Hardy, a pro boxer. I think she had, she's got an international title, WBC international title. So it's not world championship level, but it's uh, certainly a respected, a respected level of boxing. Um, took on Alice Yago, who I thought showed quite well in the fight. I thought she did pretty well. Very competitive. And uh, Hardy got the TKO with just like seven seconds remaining in the bout. But she was exciting to watch. Pretty rough around the edges, I think, from an MMA standpoint. Um, and uh, yeah, interest. I think you know, there's another person that you can imagine Bellator getting a little bit behind just because she's got that boxing crossover background. She's promoted by Luda Bella, um, who seemed quite happy to allow her to fight in between boxing matches to make some more money. But uh, you know, boxing and MMA, it's a bit of a hot topic right now. Um, do you consider that a success? I, th- I, th- I thought it wasn't a bad. Wasn't a bad debut. 100% a success. She was making a pro MMA debut issue one. She's now got a record of 20 and 0 uh, as a boxer undefeated. She's now 1 and 0 uh, in MMA. And again, it was a big stage. It's Madison Square Garden, right? 
it's uh, the biggest event in Bellator history, the biggest event in the, under the Scott Coker era. And you mentioned Lou DiBella. He, he, did, he did mention in a couple of interviews that he's going to be working a lot with Bellator moving forward. And it's not just for Heather Hardy. He's got two or three other girls, um, you know, in his kind of camp or roster, if you will, uh, that could be making the transition from boxing to MMA. And, you know, look, Bellator got to start building out this flyweight division, right? And, you know, Heather Hardy had a great story coming in to New York. And she, she's got a hand raised in victory. She can spend more time rounding out her game. And you just build her up slowly. You know, you put her up against, you know, uh, like we were talking about Aaron Pico. Same thing with Heather Hardy. Even though she's got this fantastic skill set as a boxer, she needs to figure out the wrestling and the jiu-jitsu and the kickboxing and, and what have you. So, honestly, yeah, that, that was a home run, I thought, for Heather Hardy. And she put on a display, you know, against Yaga, who, you know, who was really super, super tough and uh, I think gave a good account of herself. But it was good for Hardy to get a full 15 minutes in. Absolutely. Uh, in, the, in the cage, in that environment. Um, instead of just, she, she could have knocked Jagger out within 15 seconds, which would have been nice and spectacular, but she wouldn't have been able to kind of really kind of feel out all the, the process and the train that she's put in. So I think that's a, that was a, good, was a, a home run for Hardy there. Yeah, I totally agree. And she comes across really well in interviews as well. I thought she gave a great, well, she, she gave some great pre-fight interviews, but gave a really good post-fight interview as well. And uh, I think she said something like, I, I think I'm in love, as in uh, she's fallen in love with the sport of MMA. And uh, she comes across as a bit of a character, and you know, characters in this sport are what, what people tune in to watch. So uh, she could be one to watch uh, as Bellator look to develop that flyweight division. Final fight to talk about on this, uh, on this Bellator card. Uh, and it's one that a lot of people on this side of the pond were tuning in specifically to watch. Uh, James Gallagher defeating Shinzo Machida, uh, rear naked choke, and it was like shelling peas. He could not. He, he made it look easy. He, that's, that's the best compliment I can give him. You know, he's still incredibly young. He stepped in there with a, a forty. I think it's forty-one, forty-two. Shinzo Machida, uh, highly experienced. Obviously, he's he's trained with some decent people. Lyoto being one of them. Um, so you'd expect him to have a certain amount of, uh, you know, skill set in his uh, in his locker, but Gallagher just went in there and completely dusted him. I thought he looked he looked really really calm, really composed, just went about his business and made it look easy. And it looks as if the AJ McKee fight might be next for him. Um, and that's a fight that I know the pair of us have spoken about. Uh, maybe not on this show, but certainly. Certainly when we've been on the road, we've chatted about it. That's a fight that I think is the natural progression. We've got two hot prospects at featherweight. There's got a little bit of heat between them. Um, and it looks as if now is the moment to push them both uh, towards one another. And then from that, you've got yourselves a contender. But James Gallagher, super, super impressive. Yeah, he's got that air of confidence about him where he just feels like he belongs there, even the, on the bigger stage. Dare I say it's McGregor-esque. And, you know, Gallagher keeps going on you know, from strength to strength. I agree. I think the AJ McKee fight is going to be next for him. I'm, I'm sure they're going to put that fight in Dublin uh, at some point this year. To be honest with you, the edge has been taken off slightly for me personally. Just seeing them kind of look very pally um, at the London show that we were at, and that picture and that image has done its uh, rounds on social media. 
it just kind of makes you think, well, you know, is this just a little scripted? Are they just kind of, you know, I always say it's a pro wrestling term, but you never, ever break kayfabe. You <laughs> never, ever do it. And I felt like that if it, if it was, was planned and not organic, that, you know, they've kind of shown their cards. Still, that aside, you know, we live so deep in our MMA bubble. Maybe that image hasn't, you know, gone mainstream. And maybe there's a lot of people out there that are still buying into this rivalry. Um, so if they do put the fight on together, maybe we'll see how it plays out. Maybe they'll reignite the fire that I felt like they really, really had before that London card. Um, but that is definitely competitively a very, very interesting fight because I do rate AJ McKee as a top, top talent and somebody people should definitely be giving a lot of time to and paying attention to. So, um, so yeah, but as far as you know, this past weekend goes, uh, a great night for James Gallagher. Absolutely, and I agree with you completely about that potential matchup with AJ McKee. I think, you know, the uh, the salesmanship and all the rest of it, that's all well and good, but what I want to see is what happens when they actually fight because we've got two top prospects here who, they they you know, they've both got the ability to go all the way. They're both still quite young. They both come from good camps and... Uh, I just, I, it's just a fight I want to see. It's just a fight I want to see. I think it's hopefully it's one that we'll see on this side of the pond. Makes sense to do it in Dublin, doesn't it? So maybe, maybe we'll get that on this side of the pond uh, in the back half of this year. Let's let's hope so. If you were going to grade the overall event, Bellator NYC and Bellator One Eighty, clump it together into one show, if you're going to give it the old uh, the old headmaster's grade. What would you give it, Sandy? I think I'd give it a solid like seven out of 10. Yeah. Or if I was going to give you like a high school grade, then perhaps something like a C plus. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, it, it, there was, it was fun. I think it was value for money, right. In terms of overall entertainment. Um, you got some elite MMA in terms of Douglas Lima and Lorenz Larkin. You got a bit of a freak show situation, um, with, Chael Sonnen and Vandalay Silva. Um, you got some shocking moments like that double knockdown between Mitrion and Fedor. And, um, you know, also the, the Chandler situation with his ankle. And then you got the upset, you know, major, major upset in Zach Freeman defeating Aaron Pico. So you a bit, of, a bit of a mixed bag. You got everything. I'm sure, you know, if uh, Scott Coker and the Bellator and Spike executives were being honest with themselves or if we could be a fly on the wall in their kind of next boardroom meeting, things didn't go exactly as they planned with uh, with some of the, the the fights, some of the fighters. Um, but overall, if you look at um, so the social media, the traction they got, the media coverage, it was the MMA event the entire industry and our little bubble was talking about heading into this weekend. And there's not too many weekends where better talk can say that. No, absolutely, and. Um... It'd be interesting to see how many of these types of show they put on over the course of a calendar year. You know, I think this was their first, the first real serious foray into putting on a big pay-per-view show. And I think, I think you can call it a tentative success. I don't think it was an absolute sort of home run, but I think there's reasons to be cheerful if you're, uh, if, if you're a Bellator uh, executive. So we'll see how all that pans out as, as we go forward. But that wasn't the only event this weekend. We will talk about UFC Fight Night uh, Oklahoma in a second. 
But let's let's uh, conclude some family business and get some questions out of the way, Sandu, shall we? Absolutely. Um, the first question comes from Stuart Tuckwell. This is a, it's a bit of a three-parter. So he says, is Yamasaki getting more criticism than deserved last night? I get that he has had a number of bad calls recently. However, Lee clearly had the choke under Chiesa's neck and Chiesa had stopped fighting the choke. I think three seconds later and Chiesa passes out. People are reacting as if Chiesa was going to get out of the choke. Now, of course, this does prelude what we were going to talk about in our next segment. But as the questions kind of come in, we may as well talk about mm. the finish to the Oklahoma City main event, uh, which saw Kevin Lee defeat Michael Chiesa via rear naked choke. Mario Yamasaki was the referee. Now, I did not watch it live last night, Simon. I think you did. I actually watched it um, this morning with my breakfast. Um, and I have to say, at first viewing, I thought perhaps Chiesa had passed out. And then, obviously, watching some of the reaction, I didn't, obviously didn't see a tap. And, you know, you, you see the replay and what have you. And you think, and then, obviously, the immediate reaction of Chiesa, you know, asking Mario what the hell he was doing. It just kind of makes you think, you know, referees have bad nights. You know, they have bad moments. They make mistakes. You know, it's a very, very tough sport. Uh, to be an, uh, a referee in. That's why when you've got the likes of uh, Herb Dean or a big John McCarthy or or our very own Brit, uh, Mark Goddard, in there, I think you know nine times out of ten, you're in safe hands. They're going to get most of the right calls done the majority of the time. However, Mario Yamasaki has now a long history track record of just making bad calls. He does it time and time again. And... It's, it's a high-profile fight. It was the main event. You know, the UFC, I'm sure, have put a lot of, you know, time, money, energy, and effort into promoting both Chiesa and Kevin Lee coming into this fight. You know, I'm sure everyone listening has seen Dana White's Instagram post following the fight and what his thoughts are of Mario Masaki. And that's not the first time, you know, he's expressed his feelings there. In terms of the call, it was a bad call. In trying to answer Stewart's question here, this is MMA. Unless you pass out or you tap out due to a submission, the fight must go on. I'm sorry, but the fight must go on. The only time I want to see a referee intervene in any type of situation is when you're not answering um, strikes, whether, whether you're being unresponsive, you're not um, you know, in trying to improve your position. You know, um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember what fight it was, but a few weeks ago, it may even be Mark Goddard that did it. There was a standing uh, TKO stoppage, which I was completely happy and fine with. You know, it, you don't necessarily have to see a fire collapse to the ground uh, to kind of wave it off, right? But I think Mario Amsaki made a really bad decision last night. And not only did he almost steal a moment from Kevin Lee, because I think Kevin Lee, the choke was in tight. And I think, yeah, three or four more seconds, and Kiesa would have you know, passed out um, or at least tapped out. You just don't know. We just don't know now, do we? Maybe Chiesa could have, you know, you know, fought out for a little bit longer. Who knows? Um, but in terms of answering the question again, you know, in terms of people reacting, if Chiesa was going to get out of the choke, Stuart, we just don't know, and that's that's why you love MMA because you want to see things go all the way until you get a uh, a decisive conclusion, and a decisive conclusion in that particular situation, that position 
when you've got a rear naked choke on your opponent is either they go limp and they pass out or they tap out. That's the only way the fight should have ended. And that's not the way the fight ended last night. Yeah, that's basically it. Mario just jumped the gun. I think he was of the view that, probably the same view that most of us watching uh, had at the time, which was Michael Chiesa's done. He's, he's, he's about to tap. He's, about, he's either going to tap or he's going to go out. And I think what, what had happened was um, Chiesa was fighting the choke and then he stopped fighting the choke. And I don't know whether he'd stopped fighting the choke because he was contemplating the tap or whether it was because he was beginning to, he was entering into sort of blackout territory. But for the sake of another three or four, maybe five seconds, then we would have had a definitive result there, I think. Um, and the big question that I have, and I put it out there on, on Twitter on the night, and it's completely split down the middle, is should there be a rematch? Who should be more upset here? Because obviously when the fight was initially stopped, Chiesa was livid, Kevin Lee was jumping around like he'd won, because he had. Um, Kevin Lee did everything right, but now there's the discussion of him potentially facing Michael Chiesa again, where you think, okay, should he need to do that again? Because, you know, I watched it. I thought he had Michael Chiesa beat. The problem was he didn't definitively beat him because Mario Yamasaki stopped the fight early. And earlier on in the night, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go on and run down the card in a bit, Felice Herrig took on Justine Kish. Um, in a strawweight contest, and Felice had just been arguably an even worse position. Belly down, back mounted, rear naked choke, in deep. And Dominic Cruz on commentary is like, well, this fight's over. And and nobody could quite believe it that, that Justine Kish was able to withstand the choke for as long as she did, and then, even more remarkably, escape the choke. Um now, she was given the opportunity to do that, and she escaped, despite the fact that I, I venture to suggest that 98% or more of the people who were watching at the time thought, okay, she's done now. But she wasn't done then, because she had the opportunity to to somehow get herself out of it, despite the fact that she looked like she was toast, she managed to get out of it. Michael Chiesa wasn't afforded the same opportunity by Mario Yamasaki. And that's why we have that controversy. Does Kevin Lee have to face him again? Does Michael Chiesa deserve to face him again? If you're Chiesa, you want a rematch. If you're Kevin Lee, you don't want the rematch. And whichever way this goes and whatever happens, someone is going to have to take the, the sort of the, the bad end of the deal and have to take a half of the deal that really is unfair on them. It's unfair for Chiesa to not have the rematch. But it's unfair on Kevin Lee to have to fight the rematch. So, And this is all because the referee couldn't have waited an extra, probably only five seconds, because I think that's all it would have needed. Um, now, obviously, you know, they get one go at it in there. You know, they don't get replays as they go. They don't get someone in the ear telling them what to do. Um, they are in there on their own and calling it as they see it. Unfortunately, I think I think Mario got it wrong. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just a, it's just a bummer because it it, it 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 impacts both fighters' careers in a major way going forward. 
Um, so I don't know. There's no real obvious solution to it, but yeah, just a just a rank bad call on the night, Sandy. It was certainly that. Next questions come in from Sonny Dangel. The first question is: Who should Bellator sign next? 180 was great, especially with um, goals. I'm sure he's referring to Mike Goldberg, Ronaldo, Gallagher, Shaw, Hardy, the stars. Well, look, a quick mention. We didn't actually talk about this uh, in our Bellator segment, but it was the debut of both Mara Ronaldo and Mike Goldberg, who I thought really elevated the overall presentation of the overall, you know, of the uh, overall event. And um, I think moving forward, that's going to be a great pairing in terms of, you know, sharing the the stick mic for some desk duty and also the commentary booth as well, alongside Jimmy Smith. Um, in terms of who Bellator should, should sign next, and I think, look, pretty well kind of uh, documented now. Vitor Belfort's got one fight left on his contract. Uh, I know he's kind of asking for, you know, another five or six with the UFC. It'll be interesting to see if the UFC do re-up him and, and re-sign him because he's such a massive draw in Brazil. But, but, you know, we've both spoken to Scott Coker earlier this year, Simon. They've got plans for Brazil. They've got big plans for Brazil. They've already got a ton of fighters that are in that Vitor Belfort age bracket that are considered to be legends that have been around for a long time, that have got marquee name value. I think if they have the opportunity, and it may not be right now, but it might be later on this year, if Vitor Belfort gets that final you know, fight on his UFC contract out of the way, if they can sign Vitor Belfort, that will do wonders for them in the Brazilian market. I think they've already got you know, fighters now that they can bring to various markets in the US. They've got fighters now uh, to bring events to Canada. They've got fighters that they can bring events to the UK and Ireland. And if you're looking for international expansion and Brazil um, is on the, uh, on the horizon, you've got the Pitbull brothers, you've got Douglas Lima, you've got some homegrown talent there, you've got champions. Now you just need the marquee name uh, value fighters going to really drive everything home, get the media exposure, get the headlines, uh, get the right broadcast deals and get eyeballs on your particular product in that market. So um, that's who I'd be going for next for Bellator. I would add to their 170 division. I think uh, I think they should re-sign Carl Amasu. Um, get him before the UFC gets him. Um, he fought in Bellator before. Uh, he had a good he had a good little run in Bellator. Fought for the title, uh, having won the Bellator welterweight tournament back in 2012, um, and uh, was stopped on his stool by the doctor. Uh, after three rounds against Ben Askren in a title fight. Um, so he's had a little bit of an up-and-down uh, career under the Bellator banner. But since then, he's racked up eight wins on the spin, all of them by stoppage, and uh, six of those eight in the first round. He's a legit talent. He's a Cage Warriors world champion right now, and he's waiting for the call from somewhere, whether it be Bellator or the UFC. He deserves a bigger platform. And if you look at the welterweight division in Bellator, it's the strongest weight class. Why not make it stronger? Why not stick another European threat in there? Um, and he fight, he's French, but he, he fights representing Germany. Might open up the potential for events in that particular part of Europe as well. So for me, I would sign... Obviously, Vitor Belfort is a much higher profile, uh, big money signing. But if you're looking to strengthen what you've got, I would also look to sign Carl Amasu. He would be someone I'd definitely look to bring in. 
And the second part of the question from Sonny is, who should BJ Penn fight next, if anyone, and offers Gray Maynard? We'll talk about that a little bit more in the next segment, Simon, but I wanted to kind of throw that question in for now, and it's something that we can think about as we head to kind of breaking down this UFC Oklahoma main card in a bit more detail. That's it for the questions this week. I did throw out um, the tweet a little bit late today because um, I was just in a lot of pain. Uh, we're back, and I totally forgot to do it. But as ever, you know, if you've got any questions, any comments, any feedback, uh, feel free to hit us up um, on at the Brit Pack MMA. That is the Twitter handle. Um, I'll give it a like. That way, you'll know that it's uh, been received, and I've responded by adding it to the list of questions to be asked in next week's show. Perfect. And we will kick straight on with the second part of the show. UFC Fight Night 112 took place on Sunday night in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Uh, Kevin Lee, Michael Chiesa, we've pretty much covered that one off now. Controversial, um, not through the fault of uh, either of the fighters. I thought Chiesa started the fight very well. Kevin Lee fended off Chiesa's early attacks, looked very, very good. And... uh, to me, it looked like he had the fight won. And then obviously we now know what happened with the Mario Yamasaki early stoppage. We didn't need any such concerns in the co-main event. Tim Boach, the Barbarian, taking on former UFC welterweight champion Johnny Big Rig Hendricks. Uh, or Johnny, perhaps a little bit too big, Rig Hendricks. Because he failed to make weight for a middleweight contest. Um, which immediately set the alarm bells ringing ahead of this one. Um, and Tim Boach, who looked a much, much, much bigger man in there, um, fights with no nerves anyway, went in there with a point to prove against the former world champion and proved it in pretty decisive fashion. Big head kick, rocks Hendricks, and then Boach just goes mad against the cage with uppercuts uh, and finishes Hendricks in the second round. Big, big win for Tim Boach. What on earth happens with Johnny Hendricks now, Sandy? I honestly don't know. It's just been a rough couple of years from him missing weight, losing fights. He's a shell of a former UFC welterweight champion. He seems light years away from the guy that many consider beat George St. Pierre in his last outing. And I'm honestly just lost at this moment. I don't know what you do with Johnny. You know, the whole point of him moving up to middleweight was to give him, you know, some extra breathing room to make weight and hit the scales. He did it once already, and I thought, okay, great. Maybe he's finding, you know, found a new weight class. This will uh, reinvigorate his UFC career, and you know, and maybe it'll help him out. We've seen fighters move up in, in weight class, like uh, we saw with Donald Cowboy Cerrone over the last couple of years, and uh, just give them a whole new lick of paint, allow them to perform better with some um, extra stamina, put some more power behind their uh, punches and strikes. Um, they don't, they're not as drained as they are, you know, are or were at their lower weight class during fight week. And yet he misses weight again, you know. Uh, I don't know if he's trying to take advantage of the weight class but we're trying to get a little bit beefed up and bigger, add some more muscle mass. But um, it's all gone wrong for Johnny Hendricks, Simon. It really, really has. Um, even just appearance-wise, he just looks like he's a, a weathered, fighter who doesn't quite have it anymore if i'm being brutally honest i i'm just not confident in his ability to perform at the highest level anymore i really am not i really can't say i can uh pick him in any fight moving forward 
you know, I don't know if um, there's much value, to be honest with you, at the UFC perhaps keep, keep him, keeping him around. You know, maybe they give him another fight. Maybe they, maybe they don't. I don't know. If they do give him another fight, and he loses. I think you know, if they're still in this process of trying to trim the roster, um, you know, maybe he's on the on the chopping block. You know, I really don't know. Uh, or maybe it's time for Johnny to have some, uh, you know, a come to Jesus meeting with himself, uh, have a look in the mirror, and ask himself if he really wants this anymore. You know, and maybe it's time for him to call it a day, and for him to be the one to make that decision. Um, Tim Boach is a big middleweight, uh, big um, a big middleweight, and um, and he came in with uh, the right attitude. He's a veteran, 36 years of age. He'll kick on from this and um, and kind of catapult himself into hopefully some bigger fights down the road. But, uh, yeah, it's all gone Pete Tong for Johnny Hendricks. It really has. Um, maybe he might become uh, a potential transfer target for Bellator in the months to come. Who knows? He may become uh, unexpectedly available in the coming weeks. Who knows? Because you can bet, you know, I mean, he's on decent money as a former world champion. He's been around the UFC for a long time. Um, if the UFC is still looking to trim the wage bill um, and uh, just sort of cut the fat a little bit, no puns intended, um, then, uh, you know, with Johnny not performing the way that he has done in the past, maybe he's at risk. Um, I hope not for his sake, but if he does happen to uh, lose his spot in the UFC... And he does still want to fight again. I wouldn't be at all surprised if the phone rang and uh, a Bellator uh, executive be on the other end of the line. But we'll have to wait and see what happens with Big Rig Johnny Hendricks. Someone else who is in the veteran stage of their career and was written off, let's be honest, about a year ago, um, was Felice Herrig. She got beat by uh, Paige Van Zandt um, in New Jersey in April last year, or sorry, two years ago, in fact, um, in in a fight that a lot of people considered to be the beginning of the end for Felice Herrig as a UFC caliber strawweight. But she, she went away, she took a year out from the sport, uh, recharged her batteries, reinvented herself, completely refreshed herself, and has come back looking a completely different fighter. And she now looks like Someone who people need to start taking very seriously at 115 pounds. She submitted Kaylin Curran in the first round in a comeback fight in July last year. She followed that up with a, a win that very few people saw coming, where she outpointed the highly rated Alexa Grasso um, over three rounds in Houston, Texas in February this year. And then she followed it up this weekend with a unanimous decision win over. A very, very tough, very, very game. And prior to that fight, undefeated Justine Kish. Um, I was super impressed with Felice Herrig when she beat Alexa Grasso. I was even more impressed with the way she dealt with Justine Kish. She, to me, now looks like she's got a mojo in the UFC. And uh, I'd like to think they'll start booking her against contenders now because I think she's ready. What did you make of her? Ditto, Simon. I completely agree. I think a lot of people had started to write her off, and I thought a little bit unfairly, because the losses she suffered to Tisha Torres and Paige Van Zandt weren't exactly um, one-sided beatdowns. I mean, they weren't, you know, she wasn't finished. She lost on points, you know, and she's come back from there. Like you said, she's got three wins, three wins on the bounce now. 
She's got put a nice little streak together. She's still a very marketable fighter should the UFC choose to put the machine behind. And I think that's one of the talking points coming out of this fight where she doesn't feel the UFC is doing what they can to help promote her. Perhaps looking at more of the, the younger fighters on the roster, the likes of Paige Van Zandt, for example. She's into her 30s now. You know, she's been around for a while. Um, you know, her next outing will be her 20th pro MMA fight. And, you know, sometimes, Simon, you know, fighters, not, not everything can click right off the bat. Some fighters need to suffer some losses, reevaluate the situation. Maybe it's new training partners, new coaching staff, new gyms, new camps. Um, maybe it's to kind of look at the look inside the mirror and uh, look look at themselves in the mirror and just figure out whether they still got the fire and the desire to keep on training and change their game and evolve their game. And you know we've seen that now with Felice. You know she's really evolved everything. She seems like a much more complete mixed martial artist. Her ground game hasn't has gone up leaps and bounds. And I'm actually genuinely excited now to see her come back and fight somebody in the top five, top six, top seven, top eight. That's got to be the next step for her. Um, like with a lot of fights this weekend, you know, apart from Chael Sonnen at the Bellator card, who's always value in that post-fight interview, I didn't see a lot of, um, you know, call-outs uh, for names hardly at all. Um, there was an opportunity there for Felice uh, to mention a name, but she said in her defense that every time she has tried to call out a name, the UFC goes in the opposite direction. She doesn't really get the fight that she kind of asks for. Um, so that aside, though, very, very impressed with Felice Herring. And it's one of the good, you know, it's one of the feel good stories of the last 12 months or so, seeing her come back. And uh, yeah, it's been a good year for her. Hopefully, she can get one or two more in before the end of the year. Absolutely. And someone who has really burst onto the scene literally in the last six weeks is uh, light heavyweight Dominic Reyes. Um, he first came to sort of general prominence with uh, a video, a viral video that just trended pretty much worldwide um, for uh, the LFA fighting organization where he fought, I can't remember who it was he was fighting, and uh, he was shaking off... who. Here we go, Jordan Powell. He fought a guy called Jordan Powell. He approached, threw a few punches, backed Powell away. And as Powell sort of stood back and shaked his head as if to say, nah, you can't hurt me, Reyes hit him with a picture-perfect head kick that knocked him spark out. And uh, Reyes just looked down at him, shook his head as if to say, nah, and just walked off. It trended. It was. It was. It went everywhere. I, I ran it in my flipping BBC feature. It was on all the big major MMA websites in America. Um, and about a fortnight after that, uh, he ended up getting a very, very late call up to the UFC to take on Joaquin Christensen on the main card in Oklahoma City. And then it was a case of right, you're in the big show. Let's see what you've got. What you've got is a lot of punch power. Very dynamic. He's big for light heavy as well. He's really tall. Six foot four for a light heavyweight. Rangy, good movement. Um, absolutely battered Joaquin Christensen. And uh, just taking a quick look down his record, his last four wins have all come via knockout or TKO inside the first round. Um, and like his average fight time for his last four fights, just tightening up his thing. It's about three minutes, 20 seconds. 3.24, I think it is. Um, oh, so, so, sorry, no, 3 minutes 24 is his total fight time 
for the whole four fights. He's averaging about 45 seconds a fight. So it's uh, he's someone to look forward to seeing again. He's in the right weight class. UFC need 205ers. And uh, he looks like he might do some damage at 205 pounds. So keep an eye out for, for Dom Reyes. He looked good, Sandu. Really good. He did. And, you know, we've seen what Vulcan Ozdemir has done in a very short amount of time in that UFC light heavyweight division. And um, and this kid, Reyes, could be the next guy. And like you said, it's, you know, fighters like Ozdemir and Reyes are just what the doctor ordered for the UFC's 205 division. And it was a, a brutal, brutal finish. Got it done early and didn't waste... He didn't like to waste any time, um, which is always good, not just for the fire, but for the, the paying public, whether they're kind of inside the arena or they're paying with their eyeballs and their spare time and their viewing habits by tuning in on Fox Sports 1. That's something that you know people will remember now. And you know to get two highlight reel finishes in the space of a month and a performance tonight bonus to boot uh welcome to the ufc dominic reyes and i can't wait to see him in action again he works his day job in it technical support and uh, he certainly performed a factory reset on yoki and christensen on fight night absolutely uh absolutely put him away with style points looking forward to seeing more of him as uh, as the year progresses you can bet after such a quick fire win like that, they'll look to get him back in there nice and quickly. Uh, Tim Means versus Alex Garcia went the distance after I boldly predicted that it wouldn't on Twitter last night. So points for me. I jinxed it again. Um, and uh, he picked up the win, Tim Means. 29-28 uh, across the board against Alex Garcia, who looks the part, but just doesn't seem to be able to pull the trigger when 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 it really matters. Dennis Seaver versus BJ Penn opened the night on the main card. And uh, we got we we had a question about this a bit earlier in the show, Sandu, yeah, about who Penn should fight next. Let's cover the result off. Dennis Seaver defeated BJ Penn via majority decision, which is laughable because one judge scored that fight a draw, and I don't know what fight he was watching. Um, the other two scored it twenty nine twenty eight and twenty nine twenty seven respectively, um, and I think the twenty nine twenty seven card was probably the right one. Um, I think Penn definitely took a round. I think he won the second round. Siva won the first round. But to me, Siva, Siva really put it on him in that last round for a 10-8 um, and got the win. Siva really doesn't look any great shakes at this stage in his career, if we're honest. Um, but he was still good enough to beat BJ Penn, which then takes us to the question of who BJ Penn should fight next. And my answer to that is nobody. I think BJ Penn needs to hang up the gloves. Um, and I say that with the utmost respect for the man. Um, I don't think it is in his best interest from a health perspective to be getting in there, going through an eight-week fight camp or you know, however long he goes through and steps in there on fight night and he's getting beat up by guys who, from a talent perspective, don't really deserve to be in the same cage as him. But because of his decline over recent years... It's opening him up now to getting lit up by people who really he shouldn't be exposing himself to to get beat by. So um, for me, I would I would like to see BJ hang the gloves up and keep them hung up now. I don't think he should fight again. Five losses in a row, Simon, um, and before that it was a draw. His last win, you have to go back to November of 2010 against Matt Hughes at UFC 120. 
three. It's a sad, sad, sad state of affairs for BJ Penn in this day and age. You know, it's hard. I get it. You know, fighters, they, they it's, it's hard for them to let go. For some fighters, it is anyway. So other fighters, they can call it a day, crack on, move on with their lives. They've got other things that they want to kind of do. BJ, BJ Penn, he just can't let go, you know, and it's just sad to see. He's honestly, you know, for me, he's just, with every outing lately, he's just chipping away at his legacy. He's chipping away at his reputation, you know. Of course, he's still a legend. He's a former two-weight champion. He's the guy that would, you know, that fought Leo Machida, a heavyweight, you know. He, he, he is a myth uh, in this sport, you know, a pioneer in some respects as well. But what he's doing to himself and to his family and to his fan base and just to everyone that covers the sport is just really, really bad. It's negative. Uh, there's no positive takeaways you can take from this fight whatsoever. Dennis Eva was coming off a long, long layoff himself. Now, it was the fight that I thought was a good litmus test just to find out where BJ Penn could be and is in 2017. And then when they reverted to the Yair Rodriguez fight, we all kind of gasped and it was kind of hard to watch that one unfold. But then when they kind of went back to the Dennis Eva fight, I'm like, all right, fine, look. If the man wants to fight, this is a pretty good matchup for him in 2017. And he, he couldn't get it done. And, you know, as he was kind of getting off that stool for that third round, you could just see he had nothing left to give. He was completely gassed out. And to be honest with you, if Dennis Eva hadn't been so inactive over the last couple of years, and if he was a little bit more, uh, you know, sharper, more, a bit more uh, well-rounded, like, you know, he has been in some of his previous outings himself, um, I'm sure he would have put BJ Penn away. I don't want to see him fight again. I don't even want to hear a name from anyone before for BJ Penn. I just want him to hang it up. Um, you, you know, it's, it's crazy because, you know, you've, you've got all this momentum coming in for perhaps an event in Hawaii. Now you've got Max Holloway, you know, as the champion. And you can bet your bottom dollar that if that actually happens, the very first phone call that Dana White's going to get is going to be from BJ Penn saying, just get me a fight, get me anybody. I have to be a part of that very first event in Hawaii, even if it's somewhere on the main card or on the, the headline, the prelim, somewhere on that card. It's, 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 I don't know what to do, Simon. I'm throwing my hands up in the air, you know, that everyone listening right now can't see, but it's super frustrating. It's it's hard stomach. It's hard to watch. I don't want to see it anymore. Yet, you know, I guess we might. I guess, we, and that's a sad thing to say. I yeah. guess we probably will. I, I I guarantee you, BJ Penn will take a couple of weeks off and say, hey, I actually had a pretty good second round against Siva, and with a few adjustments here and there, I should have won that fight. And then he'll probably pick up the phone. And give Dana White a call and say, "Get me another fight." That's, that's so sad. Yeah, that's the scary thing because watching the fight going into the third round, I thought to myself, "This fight is there for BJ to win." He won the second round quite well, um, but he came out for the third round and barely threw a punch. Barely threw a punch of any of any significance in that third round, and I tweeted and described him as basically he's 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 a walking heavy bag. Um, in the third round and Siva was just teeing off on him um, and a fight that was there for the taking and he, he just he had nothing um, for me while it shows that he was in a position to win okay but 
when it came to it, there was nothing there. And, and you know, I've got every respect in the world for BJ Penn, but I don't want to see the man get beat up anymore. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Um, I don't, I, I certainly don't want to see him in there with another, um, ex, you know, active fighter. Um, maybe you could stick him in there with a fellow, a fellow legend, but that is, that is really stretching it just to do that. So, yeah, I think I, if this is the last time we've seen BJ Penn, then I think that will probably be for the best. Uh, that was the main card at UFC Fight Night 112 in Oklahoma. Um, and uh, the, the prelims basically gave us very little to write home about. All pretty run-of-the-mill decisions, with the exception of two really good finishes on the Fight Pass prelims. Jeremy Kimball, first fight of the night. Um, big TKO finisher, Josh Stansbury. Uh, that was good. And Jared Flash Gordon, who walked out to Queen's theme from Flash Gordon... Um, as he should, uh, put on a great performance to TKO Michael Quinones. Uh, and while he didn't call anybody out in his post-fight interview, that was one of the better post-fight interviews I've heard in many a year. Um, talked about... he He's a reformed drug addict, Sandu. Uh, I think he's a reformed heroin addict, if, I'm, if, if, if my memory serves. Uh, found MMA, turned his life around, is now in the UFC... Uh, has picked up a, an impressive win and then went on the microphone and basically said, this is all, you know, this is an example. You can turn your life around. You can achieve things. And if anybody out there ever wants to talk, you can get me on my Twitter. We will, I'll, I'll, I'll make time in my schedule to actually talk to you about things and try and help you out. I thought absolute class act, absolute class act. And, uh, because of the way he came across, he's someone I'm going to be keeping a close eye on now because, you like to see people like that do well in the sport. So um, that was UFC Fight Night 112, Sandy. Yeah, and look, you know, a bit of a downer, you know, having to talk about BJ Penn uh, the way we had to, you know, just to, you got to call it, call it the way you see it. Um, but to try and end the show on a bit more of a, a positive note, uh, we've got a break. So there's no UFC action uh, this upcoming weekend, but that's, going to change very very quickly because the following week is it's international fight week it's always a fun week simon um a lot of uh, awesome stuff going on in las vegas a lot of media attention uh, a lot of big fights and there's a blockbuster of a card in ufc 213 and um you know perhaps we'll preview it next week perhaps we'll wait until the following week um but then in the month of july we've got the ufc coming back to europe um with their return to glasgow so you know, we're going to have a, a week break, but then we're going to have, I think, it's something like seven or eight weeks on the trot with non-stop UFC action. So um, there's going to be plenty to discuss and, and just talk about. And I'm sure there'll be a few Mayweather-McGregor updates along the way as well to boot. It's going to be busy. It is going to be busy. So with that in mind, do make sure you follow us on social media. Sandu is at Sandu MMA. I am at Simon Head. And the show is at the Crit Pack MMA. Subscribe to the podcast. For the love of God, subscribe to the podcast. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Acast, and SoundCloud are the places to find us. And do check out our website, thecritpackmma.com. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We've got a gap week, as you said, Sunday next week. Um, so enjoy the weekend off, everyone. 
Uh, watch some other sport. Remind yourselves of why MMA is so brilliant. Come back fresh and we'll come storming back as we look ahead to International Flight Week. So that for now.